Today's Dirt Road Divinity guest is Jamie Portwood. As a writer, Jamie weaves healing magic with words. As the programming director for WriteSpace Houston, she feels that this passion work is a way of engaging concretely in the repair of the world. She believes that being able to write about things, especially her feelings, saved her life when dealing with abuse and being shunned by the church when she most needed support. As a line in her poetry shares, Jamie has forgotten more about the Bible than most of us will ever learn. And this is something that you can definitely see in our following conversation. She has deep insights and a great deal of wisdom. Now, after breaking ranks with the fundamentalist approach of her upbringing, Jamie now refers to herself as both a, quote, disciple of the rabbi from Galilee and also a practicing witch. When it comes to spirituality, her approach is, if it works for you and you are thriving, then that's amazing. And to that, I simply say, amen. (laughs) You can find Jamie in the incredible offerings of Rightspace Houston online at rightspacehouston.org. And you can connect with me and the Dirt Road Divinity podcast at a number of links offered in the show notes. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jamie Portwood. Hello, and welcome back for another episode of Dirt Road Divinity. I'm your host, Lisa Wade, and today I am ecstatic to be talking with Jamie Portwood. Jamie, hello and welcome. Hi. I'm so honored to be here, actually. Just thank you for inviting me. It's the highlight of my week, I think. Excellent. I'm I'm so grateful that you had time and, and the opportunity to chat. You know, we met, um, actually, we haven't met in person yet. But yeah, when I moved to the Houston area, one of the very first things I did was thought, okay, what kind of communities would I want to join here? Would I want to get involved in somehow? And found out about Right Space of Houston, which you happen to be the programming director there, and reached out. And then we were in a, a spiritual memoir class together. And I just remember through that class thinking, A, she's fascinating, and B, I'd like to be her friend, <laughs> you know, much less let's let's have a podcast conversation. But I just thought you were cool. And oh, so, thank you. Well, yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, I'm always like me. I'm such a nerd. Like I'm the little geek in school that was like, hey, I have like one friend. <laughs> I think just like souls recognize each other. Then. This is and, true. This is very true. And when we can nerd on on words, that that thrills me. And so you're. Before we got started, before I pressed record, you know, on this conversation, you had talked about how your work at Rightspace is really kind of your passion work and used phrases like that through words, it's concretely making an effect in the repair of the world. And that, that hit me, that hit me. Tell me a little bit about how you came to recognize the power of words and about your writing also. Man, so I think the love of words started really early with my grandpa who would teach me like, I don't even think it's a word. I don't never been able to find it, but he would teach me these huge long words when I was this tiny little toddler because he thought it was hilarious that I could pronounce them perfectly. So at like, you know, like two years old, I'm telling everybody, no, thank you. I'm sufficiently serenified <laughs> like <laughs> after a meal. So, and then like, I guess because 
my grandfather was um, a Lutheran minister, so he had higher education. My grandmother was a reader, so she had a big vocabulary. My mom is educated. My dad, you know, was in school and loved to read. And so, like, words have always been, like, I don't know, even my nieces when they were little, like, my two-year-old niece was like, I've already watered this sector of the garden. So... <laughs> We love words and we're very specific about words and naming things is such a powerful, powerful magic, right? Mm. And when you, when you are able to tell your story and actually claim your story, mm. it just, I don't even know how to describe that. That's a magic that is beyond words, you know? And the fact that like the divine <laughs> inspires us to write, inspires us to art, you know? We have these sacred texts that are preserved, you know? And like, I was raised that the Bible was the only sacred text. And I'm like, man, if it's still here on earth through the cataclysmic, like histor historical events, we've still got it. God had a hand in that. <laughs> there could be some important. sacredness there too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I think I've always just loved the power of words to help name what was going on inside of me. I've always been like the big feeler. Yeah. <laughs> and so I turned to poetry as the angsty like teenager, you know, who was just really struggling. Um and I would write these poems that I look back on now and I'm like, oof, duh. Like, <laughs> I'm glad they're in a cedar chest and not in the world, but. <laughs> but for a lot of people, putting pen to paper is, is therapy. You know, that, that is how we process. And it's so important to have that, to have that tool. Even if you don't feel like you've got the skill just to have the tool, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, like, what is, who is it, Joan, was it Joan Didion who said, I write to know what I think? Mm. And I'm like, I write to, have to, to figure out what I'm feeling, mm. you know, and then for my healing journey, it's, I'm usually writing toward how I want to feel. Yeah. Because I may not feel forgiveness for a lot of the, you know, traumatic events, but that's what I want to feel. So I'm working toward that, you know, and writing toward that. Mm. It helps to write toward it. Almost as if calling it in by putting, yeah, putting the words out there, you know, the idea that that words are like magic wands in, in a way and the chance to call it in or at least clarify what what is the thing that I'd like yeah. to feel or the way in which I'd like to feel. Yeah, it's just, uh, I mean, language is, what we have to communicate, you know? And I think being chronically misunderstood, both like from a neurodivergent standpoint and also from the misunderstanding that like being called crazy when like, I was like, mm, no, actually abused is the term you are looking for. Mm, abuse yeah. looks like, abuse victim looks like, it looks like crazy. Mm. Because it is crazy. And so being able to write about things, like, honestly, I think saved my life. And then being able to look back 
since like since I'm now in a place of safety you know and I'm in a place like a good place I can look back on it and go oh I see what was going on there and even though like I don't think so that everything happens for a meaning or for a reason you know I I I don't particularly like that saying or that um the meaning of that because there are terrible things that are completely and totally random you know that happen all the time but we can give reason to all of those things that happen simply by going okay well what can I learn from this what am I trying to like what am I trying to I don't know use it as a lesson for or however we look at it however we grow from it then it then we're giving it meaning and we're giving it a reason you know for happening like I can look back on my my whole life and go wouldn't trade it for worlds I mean any of the experiences because I really like me now and I really like the place I'm at and I really like what I know mm-hmm. you know um but oof, I don't think I would ever go through it again for worlds. Why <laughs> yeah. not wish it on another? <laughs> no, no. And in fact, if I can save anybody, you know, 20, the 20 years between like, you know, me at 46 and me at 26, you know, like I would like to be able to do that for somebody like I could if I could shortcut you 20 years of my experience so that you can learn something along the way instead of you know experiencing it like, yeah that would be, that'd be good <laughs> way to benefit the world for sure you know and that's that's such a powerful choice point that you just that you just pointed out that that when shit happens and sometimes and we just, just look at it and it's just shit you know, but when shit happens, can we choose and, and for it to become the manure, you know, that helps us grow instead of just the shit that buries us? And I like that analogy because I, I have had horses and it does make your garden grow. <laughs> but sometimes being in a place where that, where that choice even seems possible yeah um can be tough and so hearing you talk about it it sounds like you found a lot of that power and choice potential through through words and through using language and naming things as a way to help you help you see it to to yeah. recognize the insights or the growth or the learning rather than just the burying yeah i look at it as i really do like the metaphor of the soul as a house mm. you know because I have lots and lots of like levels, you mm-hmm. know, and there's lots and lots of rooms and there's so many rooms that I like, it was just like, oh, well, shutting that door. And I'm very good at that. <laughs> like that's what trauma, oh, trauma and moving around a lot, mm-hmm. like really helps you go, well, I'm just going to shut that door and never look there again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like the pandemic happened and I read that it was happening. It wasn't just me that it felt like all of these things just kept coming up. Like, I was like, okay, no, 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 I, I can't stop. I get your, this is too, I, I don't want to deal with that. Okay, not ready. Wait, hold on. Wait. <laughs> but I read that basically 
because of the pandemic, the additional stress mm. and like, you know, tension and like the news just being like, well, what more that our bodies, uh-huh. you know, our very kind bodies that keep so much of our stuff for us, you know, mm-hmm. so that we don't have to deal with it or don't, don't have to deal with it. The body's like, I'll take it. And the body was like, I can't. <laughs> I'm done. Tapped out. <laughs> so if you if you want the new stress, the old stuff's gonna have to come out. So here you go, trade. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Like, uh, I feel like I pandemic so hard. <laughs> uh well, it it seems like you came out of pandemic and uh recently had kind of a an an epic journey. Yeah, overseas, and I, if you don't mind, I would love to hear a bit about that, and especially from the little bit we've talked, it sounds like the things that were particularly meaningful in the journey, um, might have been a little bit in some ways, we're kind of rooted in ancestry, and in a lot of ways, might have been a little at odds with um, family upbringing or, or cultural upbringing if that's fair (laughs) or an understatement. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, I knew that I grew up evangelical, um, and it wasn't until the pandemic and I really started unpacking a whole lot of boxes that I realized, oh no, no, I grew up fundamentalist. Like we grew up on the right side of the evangelical church. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there's a whole lot of things that are absolutely like that is of the dark period. Like if you want to be possessed by demons, that's a good way to go about doing it. Like, you know, like there are no such things as past lives. There are no such things as ghosts. There are angels and demons at war in the space between your soul and your spirit. But, you know, like, so it's this very interesting, like, ancestors are something that like are you know an evil practice that kind of thing I have thrown all of that out of the door during the pandemic um Mm -hmm. those kinds of beliefs and really tapped into my ancestors and um on my mom's side I am a hundred percent Norse Mm-hmm. so like there is a strong strong call to the north side of that but I've always had this like strong kind of like interest in the pre-Roman Britain um mm. with the druidic practices that are very much <laughs> very much um nature oriented yeah. you know and I I'm one of those like I pick up sticks on my walk <laughs> walks yep yep so so right before I went to the UK and it was my first time crossing the Atlantic um I found out that my dad's side of the family is actually like 100% British Isles oh wow Um, there's Scottish there's Welsh which I'm really happy about um and then there's you know the uh, United Kingdom specifically in that central region um like below Scotland but north Mm -hmm. of you know um so yeah, we uh we flew into Manchester and it was a driving tour. So we got to like actually drive through the countryside and everything. And um we picked up the car in Manchester and like <laughs> my first view of the Yorkshire Moors mm. and that sky and just how open it 
I mean, it just overwhelmed me and I started like weeping. Like I still want to cry thinking about it. Like I'm still processing the deeply emotional response I had to that land Mm. and how (laughs) grounded I felt there and how just, I don't even know, like I'm still, like as I'm still processing it. And I think part of it is that the north side of my family is so well established right like my mom is kind of the son that we all orbited and my dad was very much scapegoated and his side of the family which i mean granted they are from north florida and like they are deep south my grandmother was as racist as they come Mm. you know i'm pretty sure my grandfather was but i was he died when i was too little to actually know um And yet, like, that's still one side of my family. And it's kind of always felt lopsided. And it's weird because I'm actually like, my right leg is a half inch short. So I'm like literally lopsided. Yeah. And so all of the North stuff I'm very familiar with. And like, you know, I've got my troll cross and, you know, I'm familiar with runes and stuff like that, but I've not ever tapped into my dad's side of the family. I don't know that side of the family's history, you know, and I believe that as I'm healing, there is somehow psychically, it reverberates all the way back to the source of that trauma, which are human beings who died before I was ever born, Right. right? You know, and so I feel like not knowing that side of the family nearly the way that I know my mom's side of the family um it felt like I was tapping into ancestry that was yeah helped me feel not so lopsided Mm. but then then like I was in Edinburgh like we ended up in Edinburgh and I had moments where I was like oh well this is really familiar but it's huge and really clean and I missed all of the horses being there um Yes, and I. <laughs> this is so, no. and this sounds so crazy. Like, like saying these kinds of things and like believing that actually there are past lives and like whether it's an ancestry's, like an ancestor's mm-hmm. past life or or my own past life, like that for me is just like, this is literally coming out of my mouth. Wow. Okay. <laughs> but I have like this sensation that I had a peg leg and that I fell a lot, <laughs> like, which. I mean, with the cobblestone streets and everything, it was just like, okay, well, that would make sense. And like, but apparently I was very, like, it felt like I had been a very cheerful soul Mm -hmm. um, and like who had the same kind of connection to horses that I get. Mm -hmm. That was weird. Like, that was just one of those like, wow, okay, I guess this is who I am now. Thanks for sharing that. You know, that was one thing when we were in, in both Scotland and Ireland the past life remembrances for me at least were were vivid and there would be streets wow. that I would go down and it'd be like whoa I, I remember that or you know like over near the Isle of Skye and the Isle of Mull in Scotland and going that's the place that I that I've seen in my like when I would do certain meditations or whatever that's the place I've seen and so it was just so I hear you you know in terms of how place almost like the energy of place can spark a remembrance you know energetic or otherwise that's just like oh whatever it was like what I mean because yeah I I truly (laughs) I I'm tapping into all of the things I was told 
were bad, Mm -hmm. you know, and were a bad way to approach God or or the divine. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I find is that like, literally there is nothing at odds with taking a prayer and making it just into a talisman or you know making it a physical object Mm -hmm. and like making it be something that I put intention into or whatever like that's a prayer why isn't that a prayer you know so Mm -hmm. and and wanting to like tap into the fact that that no matter what I always believe I've always believed that there's ancestral wisdom right Mm -hmm. like we we collectively know things um and of course I always believe in I've always believed in you know spirit the holy spirit um so like yeah I uh just like whatever it is and uh I asked um uh which that I follow on TikTok (laughs) (laughs) um and because she was like you know if you she's like this is a a tower time which is basically like everything shaking everything is like coming down and she's like this is the time when you want to like tap into your ancestors stay rooted and grounded and I was like I want to do that how do I do the ancestors and so she was like light a candle Mm -hmm. and like ask they are there to help you they want to help you you know and um what was really interesting is like I did that and started my grandmother is everywhere (laughs) (laughs) I have her wedding pictures I have essays or like compositions she wrote in high school I have a drawing that she did like I have all of her sewing things Mm. like things that she had her hands on like I have brooches that she wore and scarves and I'm just like huh this is an interesting how I inherited and what I inherited mm-hmm. and that was so yeah <laughs> <laughs> being uh being able to tap into like the ancestry side on my dad's side of the family because you can't you can't do half and half right like I can't tap into one side and then expect to be balanced mm. you know well, you know and I hadn't thought about it that way before. So thank you for bringing that awareness around. And and even the idea that when we heal where we are now, especially if it's from a, a pain point or a scar that may be generations old, that mm-hmm. because there really is no such thing as time and space or anything, you know, that that, that healing can go in all directions. And what a, what a service to offer to ancestors, just like their wisdom and strength is a service to you now, your healing being a service to them. Whew. Well, and it's a little bit like finding your voice too, mm-hmm. you know, because like, you know, being able to really talk to my grandma and be like, Matt, what were you thinking, you know, or, mm. or, you know, with my grandma on the other side who actually has started to kind of I've started to hear her voice and it's just like really that's fun but it's like being able to tell her like I will have none of your nonsense Mm -hmm. like she was mean she was mean she was mean she was mean (laughs) you know um and so it's like I kind of like kept her like at arm's length like if you are going to be mean you don't like if you want to participate in the healing then please let's do this but like if you're just here to be mean and snarky the way that you were when you were alive like I don't really want to play that game with you so it's kind of like finding your voice and standing up against because I mean like the people who silence us the most are our families you know absolutely 
So being able to like stand up to some of that energy, whichever, you know, whatever it is, is like helpful. Yeah. And the idea of how important it is to have boundaries, even when it's in the spirit world, you know, or okay, well, grandma's been gone for a while, but yet I, I get to have a boundary now with her that I maybe even couldn't have or didn't have when I was a child or, or when she was still alive or whatever. And that's one of the most, to me, one of the most freeing things about any of the kind of the, the gnosis or, or the spiritual work, the more esoteric, you know, work, it just the idea that we have so much more authority and in our own experience than anyone ever wanted to tell us, you know, it's like yes. authority was always reserved for the, the dude at the front right of the, the church. Title. Yeah. Yeah. And not well, for, for me, it was the front of the church, yeah. but the guy leading the Bible study. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we've got so much authority and we can set boundaries and we can ask for what we need and we can go direct you know, without having the middle person who wants to control the, the message in some way. But whew, that was, that was a huge awareness for me. And it sounds like it's been pretty powerful for oh, you. Oh man, it's been so, so freeing to be able to, well, the rev- I think the true revelation was having my eyes opened that it, it, <laughs> I was taught to look for the word Jesus, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Like that's the word that you're looking for to know if somebody's saved and in the family. And if they're not in the family, then you need to proselytize because they're going to hell, right? You know, and so like, if you love them enough, you're going to go preach at them. Thank God I was shy. Thank God. (laughs) Thank God I could never bring myself to go door to door because, oh, like it would just be oh geez the, like the thought of doing that like made my bowels turn to water but like um I really truly just believed that and then mm-hmm. the church closed the door on me I had begged for help in a marriage that was like slowly I mean it was just basically like <laughs> I don't I have never been so reduced Mm. in my life um the way that I was in that marriage I was reduced to a satellite around my husband and the church encouraged that because like you know the men is the head of the house right and I'd been begging for help um I was being psychologically abused and I was on the phone with my husband one night and he said something I had told him I was like well you you know you claim Christ right so you're you're supposed to love this person and his words were so I'm supposed to reward him for bad behavior and it was like you know those times where nothing has really happened but everything just changed Mm-hmm. And those words were like, oh, that's our entire marriage. I've just never performed well enough to earn your love. Wow. Got it. Wow. And like, there was something that like, that's one of those times when I heard God speak very, very clearly and heard, you just need to get your shit and go. Yeah. And I was like, I won't be here when you get home. And that like, I had no idea that that started my way to divorce, started the way to, mm-hmm. you know, um, the freedom that I have now. <laughs> Thank, yeah. thank God. Um, and the church 
did not, none of the church leadership believed me that it was God who had told me to leave that relationship and to stay away until it was safe to return there. And nobody believed me that God, because God would never tell you to leave a marriage. And I was like, well, he did. So um, I don't want to tell you. And it got very, very ugly. And it got like increased, like basically what happened was all of the access that I had to God through singing, through worship, through being in church, because I did access the divine Mm -hmm. in those ways. You know, they can't keep God out of your worship. (laughs) Like they just can't. There's no way to do that. Um, so like I had to find new ways in to the divine. And when I had a friend who was a professing witch, and so I never heard the word Jesus, but I saw all of the light that was in her Mm. and all of the light that she was giving when she read palms and she did tarot readings. And I listened to how she talked about the healing sessions sessions that she did and then I remembered when um the Pharisees accused Jesus of casting out demons by demons and he basically tells them you need to watch out when your eyes so dark that you don't recognize the things of the light that's on you man that's on you and I was like I have been taught all wrong instead of the word jesus i should have been looking i should have been taught to look for light Mm. and so that opened up this way forward for me um to explore all of the things that i really really was drawn to when i was a little kid but they were evil right Mm. so like crystals and like ruins and like ruins and um all of the witchy things right like that I was never allowed to do and I gotta tell you like the thing I love about it most is that I can't do it wrong Hmm. there's no way of like it's a practice right you practice the craft like so I'm practicing there's no way to do it wrong and every single way is my approach right Mm -hmm. so it works for me and if it doesn't work well then okay fine we'll find another way in and it's like god is not going to keep us from finding a way in and so like yeah i miss i miss singing with a choir Mm -hmm. but uh i definitely don't miss the sermon afterwards trade-offs right (laughs) trade-offs right I kind of I kind of want to go to some big gospel churches here in Houston and just stay for the worship service and then leave (laughs) give me the singing (laughs) pretty much you know I found recently there's a church in in Houston that has um it's an Episcopal church. And I, I didn't know, I just found that this, this weekend, I kind of want to go, but it's an Episcopal church that's, that's open, like really open, but they have a Celtic ceremony on Sunday nights. And so they bring in the Celtic spirituality into the service and like the prayers are around nature and um, yeah. more of the like Irish, Scottish music at the beginning. And maybe we should just go sometime. <laughs> Well, no, I would. So there's a, there's a Celtic shaman that I, she's Irish um, that I follow on TikTok. Uh TikTok's an education and revelation and it will occasionally attack you. And it's, it's, it's good. 
it's very good um but she talks about like how you know according to like irish it's a the whole religion mm -hmm. the celtic like practices there's three cauldrons so yeah. like she's like we it's she's like we don't have the seven you know chakras but we do have the three cauldrons and it she was doing a lesson about how when we're born our cauldron is turned this way hmm. so like all of them there's one for your head there's one for your heart and then there's one for your like basically like where your root would be your root mm -hmm. and your sacral um mm -hmm. chakras are and when you're born they're turned upside down and the goal of your life is to have every single one of them open to receive mm. so that's like like and and the practice of like yeah having and you have to start with the cauldron that's in your head right because it's like from the top down or whatever we receive from the top down and I was like fascinating what it is and it's like you know basically like my whole entire philosophy now is Matt if it works for you and you're thriving amazing and helps you feel connected to yes. something yeah yes yeah. and I mean my whole thing is like, I have this God besotted little soul. That's why I bought all of that hook, line and sinker, because I was told this is what will please God. And I was like, okay, it hurts, but I'll do it. Mm -hmm. You know, all of the things that make me, me like, that's <laughs> oh, going to have to go. Okay. And you know, like I just laced myself into Christianity and I don't, that, ugh, that whole idea, just being free to like reach God in any way yeah. that works for you, like go for it. Absolutely go for it. And then tell me about it because like, I want, you know, God is looking for ways to let people in like the brand Christianity I grew up in, like was all about keeping people out. Like, you know, mm. there's this, like, there's a very prideful we're on the narrow way we're not on the wide way to destruction the super highway the here <laughs> you know what they I remember being a kid and I don't know how old, but being a kid and thinking all right if there's like seven billion people on the planet which was maybe about right then then there's likely seven billion paths to God you know and and the point is to find the path that works for you yes and why as a kid, when that was so not part of the culture, you know, I remember thinking that, you know, growing up in, in rural Oklahoma, there, you know, Imagine there was a path, <laughs> there was a path, um, but thinking, yeah, there, there can be as many paths as, as there are people. And it's a matter of finding the one that works for you, but then allowing other people to have the path that works for them without judgment, you know, yeah. it's what yeah. works. How about we not judge and let them do you do you boo, <laughs> you know, I mean, just do your thing. Exactly. And, and that is so, it's interesting to me how that is such a challenge and people, you know, as, especially people of faith, it, it's almost as if it's so threatening for someone else to believe a different way, but they don't view it as a threat. It was, Ooh, but I want, I want for you, I want your soul to be safe. Like really do, do you though? Well, but I did. I mean, honestly, I can say I did. Here's, mm -hmm. and I think that I really went, hmm. 
my mother brags that she shamelessly brainwashed us, me and my brother. <laughs> she brags about this. <laughs> she brags about it. Okay. He's not lying. Like mm-hmm. the amount of, I, I, there's a line in my poem that like that I'm working on for, you know, the performance poetry reading. And it's, you know, I forgot more Bible than you ever learned. Yeah. I, and, and then I went on after like high school and chapel and Bible class and everything. I went on to study the Bible for myself because I want to know everything there is to know about God. <laughs> like I just do. I like, if there's a, you know, and I've always loved the Bible. Mm-hmm. There's so much wisdom in the Bible. It's just that the way that it was interpreted for me was ugly. Mm-hmm. And then after I got divorced and I couldn't go to church, but I still believed in God and I still hadn't let go of any of my beliefs. I had just yeah, gotten funny. really traumatized by the church. And I came across a pastor. Uh, his name is Shane Willard and he has his master's in clinical psychology as well as being like a, a master's in theology. And like he has, he was mentored by a pastor who's also a rabbi Mm -hmm. who did like his pastoral training and then actually went and became a rabbi. Um, And he's a Hebrew scholar. And so the way that he taught Bible was something completely and totally different. And I've always Mm -hmm. been like, if I start talking, past lives I don't know ancestors I have no idea but if we like if I start thinking about Jerusalem and like the Holy Land like I start crying <laughs> like I get really emotional I've never been there like, mm-hmm. but I get real emotional and and um like he the first thing I think I heard him teach was the difference between Hebrew thought and Greek thought and Greek thought always wants to know the right answer right? Like if you think about how we do things in the West, like, and we're all Greek thinkers in the West because hello, Western civilization, right? And so there's a right way and there's a wrong way to do things. We're very much a dualistic society. Like there's an in and there's an out, there's a right and a wrong. And so we want to have the correct answer. What's the correct answer? What's the interpretation that's correct, right? Like what's the interpretation of this verse? Whereas Hebrew thought is like that every verse has at least 70 facets. And so I want to know what your thoughts are or Mm. your, and more importantly, I want to know what your questions are about this, right? And so the more questions you have, the deeper the conversation can go. And the rabbis teach that like 95% of what we think we know about God is wrong anyway, but he's smiling because we're talking about him. (laughs) God's like, cool, my kids are talking about me. Like, it's so cute. Look at how wrong they are. Little, little cute, adorable, like you know little little four-dimensional beings down there in time you know like (laughs) trying to figure out an infinitely dimensional like creator (laughs) universe right and so it becomes a well tell me what your thoughts are on that Mm. you know and then like how do we wrestle with the text because this was written a really really long time ago and attitudes were really really different right so like, why do we take things and make it unchangeable? Mm. You know, also, why are we holding the patriarchs up as like examples and role models of how to do things when in fact their families were seriously dysfunctional and maybe they were examples of what not to do? <laughs> Don't be like Abraham. He landed his wife in a harem twice, twice. Like, 
Why would you want that as an example of how to be a good husband? No. <laughs> Perspective shift. <laughs> right? Re reframing. <laughs> uh, and, and to go back to the full circle, the ability of words to help us do that. You know, so you had just mentioned uh, performance poetry. Yes. Coming up. Tell tell me like about your current writing and, and your work with Write Space. What does Write Space do for anyone oh. who might be interested? Oh man, you got me started. So actually we have an interesting uh we have an interesting event next um Saturday. We are doing our annual cemetery stroll through Glenwood Cemetery. Oh wow. Um where I hand out writing prompts uh that will guide you through, I'm hoping, a process. Um and they may be, people may be like, what? A little bit with the writing prompts, but um, I, I'm confident that like, there's a way in there, you mm -hmm. know? Like how writing does that, like how you, and then I just want to hear people's like responses to it. Cause every time there's a writing prompt and the different ways that people take it, that's just golden. So hopefully there'll be some cool writing that comes out of that. Cause we've got two, two readings actually we have uh the performance poetry workshop that's ongoing right now which I'm actually a part of because I really would like to be uh on that stage um mm -hmm. not enough Gen X women up on that stage so it's about time I'm up there um <laughs> so we have that reading on October 21st at Melange Creperie in the Heights oh uh, that's 7 to 8 30 yeah we're gonna have uh it, it's the first time that I've had a poetry workshop that's entirely men and then me um, wow. so that's been cool. And like, those guys are just bringing it. And then we have a Halloween open mic, um, on October 29th at Antidote. Um, and yeah, that's going to be costumed. So I'll get to dress up for like the second time in my life for Halloween. And I'm very excited. <laughs> I get to host, I get to host, like, that's, what's crazy. I'm actually hosting that, um, little old me. Um, let's see, what have we got coming up besides we have a lot of planning sessions and write-ins uh, for October, you know, whether you're like doing NaNoWriMo and need like Preptober planning sessions or whether you just need like a date to write because making time and, and taking the time because your writing is important, you know. Um, we've got uh, Engaging the Uncanny with my friend, Catherine. She's absolutely brilliant. And this is a two session workshop um, that has it's a, engaging the uncanny, like the spooky and our world, like the world our, that we live in. And it's basically like looking at horror through the lens of what does it tell us about our fears? Ooh. And it's a generative workshop. Hmm. So that's cool. That's coming up uh, the 16th. That starts the 16th. Um, and then we've got lyric essay uh, with Justin uh, Janice. And if you've never had a class with them, you are missing out like honestly amazing um oh and then my these are like my pet ones sorry these are <laughs> these are my pet because so many times artists are trying to take the trauma mm. and transform it right like that's one of the reasons why I loved the transforming trauma class that, that we offer. Um, and this is actually, her name is Debbie Burns. And she is this, she, as she puts it herself, she's a badass healer with PTSD. All right. Um, and so uh, 
she is doing a class called magical af which is basically like unlocking those limiting beliefs mm. and setting yourself free to pursue your dreams and be the human being you are right like we it's so true that we hold ourselves back because we're afraid of 100 like genuine authenticity but that's what the world is desperate for people who are alive and authentic and genuine so that one is those are my uh and she's also doing in november she's doing it's a two-part series it's follow-up to magical af um and it's called phoenix rising so mm -hmm. it's like digging nice. deeper into that yeah and it's that whole, like, we, we need to get out of our way as artists, right? Mm -hmm. There's a way that, like, we can transform that trauma, but, like, the trauma responses that hold us back, you know, the people-pleasing or the perfectionism. Oh, my God, the perfectionism, like, all of those things. So Perfectionism, people-pleasing. And then something you mentioned at the top of our conversation, which is this idea that if I'm true to it, people are going to think I'm crazy. Yeah. You know? That if it's yeah. not part of the mainstream, then she must be nuts. You, you know, she, she, and, but we do that to ourselves first. <laughs> I don't I know how many conversations I've started with. This may sound crazy, but yeah. <laughs> so the fact that there are more and more people out there encouraging that kind of authenticity and authenticity through creativity to allow that to shine almost like a beacon for others to go, oh, Oh, okay. You know, well, that's what it is. It's so, um, the friend that I told you about the one who like was the first practicing, witch that I was truly friends with, mm -hmm. um, she said something to, she was doing a palm reading and I had the privilege of watching her and I'm not kidding. She like basically stood that soul up and sent him on his way. Like she reminded him who he was mm -hmm. and he stood up in, in that, like, it was, it was powerful anyway. Um, she looked at him and because he he is an educator and she said you need to stop worrying about like being in the spotlight she's like you're not in the spotlight you are the spotlight mm -hmm. and I was like that's what we do as writers right we shine a spotlight on ourselves so that you can see like mm. you're not alone like that's what you discover as an artist and in an artistic community, like right space, you know, like you, you find like, oh, I'm not the only one who thinks that way or feels that way. I'm not the only crazy person in the room, you know, <laughs> I'm not alone in this. It's a truly human, like it's just a human experience. And it's powerful when you think that you have something to carry all by yourself and you like write about it and you, you know, present it. And all of a sudden, there's all of these hands that help you hold it up. And it's not nearly so heavy as you thought it was, you know. And then then there's this, I always say that writers do the work that God does when he reminded the prophets that they were not alone. Mm. Because the comfort that God gave the prophets when they were feeling completely alone yeah. in, their, in the wilderness... <laughs> persecuted right is he, there was always a reminder somewhere along the line you're not alone there's the remnant that I reserved mm. there's you know 7,000 who have not bent the knee whatever it was and that's what writers do we are doing the work of God and reminding people who have been convinced that they're alone in this world 
and convinced that they have to do this by themselves and convinced that they are just the only person who's this much of a freak or this much of a whatever it is you know how many times that like you got shamed or you know took took up the shame you know picked it up so yeah like by being vulnerable we can actually do the work of god by saying you're not alone you're not even a freak <laughs> it's a complete and total normal psychological response to some really bad situations <laughs> like give yourself grace <laughs> i mean yeah. yeah. And the whole idea that, yeah. we're, that we're all here to walk each other home. I, you know, and sometimes it's the walking each other home back to ourselves, you know, oh, I know mm. the way. I've, I've been there. <laughs> Let's just hold hands and go together. I know. Well, it's the, yeah, we're not supposed to do it by ourselves. Yeah. I mean, mm. whatever I, community, like whether it's a coven or a church. And I know that there, I, my, uh, my person always tells me that not all churches I'm like yeah I know <laughs> Just I'm some. making a point it's poetic license it's hyperbole I, it's 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 <laughs> grandiosity to make the point I'm making no. um but like it's the it's just finding people who will hold you up when mm. or sit down and take a rest with you but not let you stay there too long right yeah yeah you know, you did something for me in, in, in the class that we were in together. And um, I, I never mentioned it to you, I don't think, but we were talking about like our backgrounds and here I, I just, I had told myself the story that growing up in rural Oklahoma and the, the very um, narrow, you know, uh, religious belief systems that, that at least I, I grew up as a part of, um, or that I grew up with those around me, I really thought it was a place thing. And so I, I held some maybe animosity toward my home state because of that. And you had mentioned, you were sharing some, some experiences about Florida and California. And I'm like, wait a minute, those are supposed to be the liberal places where people don't think like this, but you had those experiences there. And for some reason, it, it's just like all that kind of angst that I held about a state just kind of disappeared I went oh it was never oh, it, it was never really about the state it, it was maybe state of mind in some places but you know and that's not to say that Oklahoma is the most you know progressive place in the world either but other places it, it was just wild how in seeing some commonality in someone else who experienced it somewhere else felt wildly freeing and I don't know why, I can't even explain why, why is that? that? I, I don't though? know. It, it, it And it's the craziest things. And, and you're like, oh, well that unlocked that. Okay. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Thank yeah. you. Don't know what it was or how it was, or it was the exact right way that you needed to hear it or, you know, the, yeah. And that's, I think I, I have, I, I think I choose to look at things as blessings now because mm -hmm. I really, really do like where I'm at. I really like mm -hmm. what I know. I like that I have finally reached a point where I'm okay with being a disciple of the rabbi from Galilee, mm -hmm. like the unchristian <laughs> disciple <laughs> of the rabbi from Galilee, right? Um, and also being a practicing witch. Um, mm -hmm. And like... <sighs> just being from so many different places 
Hmm. And having the churches be the same, no matter where we went, we could find that particular set of beliefs and they were the strip mall churches. And, you know, like the word non-denominational makes me go, like, (laughs) get back. I don't really like, or like if you're, if the word fellowship is in your church, I'm sorry. Um, But it's, it is honestly now it's like an entire huge demographic of people who just got indoctrinated Mm -hmm. you know and there were all kinds of scare tactics that were going on like there was the satanic panic in the 80s (laughs) like if I mean I don't know if you had that in Oklahoma but we had it in Iowa and Phoenix (laughs) like the Midwest and you know like you know Phoenix Arizona big city And I mean, all of these just different things that were constantly, and it was the end times that it had to be the end times and the rapture is just going to be around the corner and like, you know, interpreting revelations as a book of prophecy. And I'm like, okay, so (laughs) learning now that it's, there's a whole, it's a genre, (laughs) like it's an actual genre called apocalyptic literature the book of daniel is also in this like genre of literature and it was a way for oppressed hebrew people to write and encourage one another and john being of hebrew background being a disciple of a rabbi hebrew rabbi like he knew how to like encourage people who were being sent to the lions and you're i mean like but like where you were talking about how it's that one way and there's there's it comes up against a wall right because it's one way and I mean I was having a conversation with a family member and you know I'm learning stuff and I'm that particular kind of geek who like starts like 96 percent of her sentences with did you know like (laughs) um and so I'm like did I mean, like learning that Revelations is actually a historical book and a genre of literature and that the beast was referring to Nero, who was given the nickname the beast because he did things like burn humans as torches for garden parties. Oh, Lord. I know. You're like, okay, you're crossing a line. Yes, beast. That is beast. But I mean, you know, and I was like, the mark of the beast was actually something that the the, the early Christians were dealing with as right then and there because if you didn't burn incense to the caesar caesars which would have been the it would have been looked at on as idolatry because by then it was the cult of the caesars right Mm -hmm. and then you got like a mark by the priest on your forehead so that you could go into the market and you can buy and sell because you had the mark on your forehead that said cool you burnt incense and so it's called the mark of the beast among themselves so that they knew that what they were talking about without getting dragged into, you know, the local arena or whatever it was. It was a way to talk amongst themselves with it was code. Right. So all of these symbols, all of these like metaphors are really honestly and truly like they have historical like meaning. But I remember Bible studies where they were talking about like, well, if you were going to describe an Apache helicopter, attack helicopter, like for, and you were a first century, you know, Jewish person, like you can see like that, that that's what he was trying to describe. And I'm just, I, I remember those Bible studies and I'm like, oh, so the world is all going to end. And hopefully we get raptured before this really terrible reckoning that, you know, God's going to pour out on the earth and 
And we wonder where anxiety and kids starts. <laughs> well, and it, it honestly, like now that I think about it and now that I've like unpacked a lot of boxes and I've, what I really have actually prayed for is the ability to see what is underneath all of those things. Mm-hmm. Right. Because there's always an underlying belief, right? Like people who believe that the vaccine is the, you know, the mark of the beast there's an underlying belief that God would be in heaven gathering the angels around going watch this a bunch of my kids are about to get tricked into eternal damnation solid like sorry but your God's an asshole yeah that's a dick move dude like like that's (laughs) I mean just like as in far as far as like God's go that's not one I'm worshiping that's one I'm like hmm that's like ugh. So like, there's that underlying belief. And if you have the underlying belief that the world is all supposed to end and that we're actually getting worse, like it's getting worse, right? And that it's going to end in blood and fire, then you are completely released from participating in the repair of the world. Mm -hmm. And like, that is something that we are called and required to do. Like that existed in Judaic, like that existed in Judaism, you know, Mm -hmm. and I read this amazing book one time, um, by a rabbi by the name of Wyland and it's a Jesus in the time of the Jews. And he's basically saying, look, like Christianity and modern day rabbinic Judaism all come from second temple Judaism. That's where Jesus was walking around in and there's Christianity. And then you have the destruction of the temple right after that. And then you have modern Judaic Judaism, like or, you know, modern rabbinic Judaism, like, arising out of that. And, like, we have completely ignored all of, like, the teaching, like, you know, everything that has gone into what we actually believe or whatever. And the idea of the, it's, it's, I'm probably not going to pronounce this right, but it's tikkun olam right? It's Mm -hmm. the repair of the world. And that is what you are called to as like a believer in God, as a follower of, you know, Torah, it is that you're, you're here to participate in the repair of the world. Mm -hmm. And so like these Christians who are sitting around saying that the world is getting worse and it's getting worse until it reaches a certain like tipping point where God's like, well, that's it. That's the end of the world. Like, open up the vials, open up the bowls, like, experiments over. (laughs) Yeah, like, well, the sin of the world has reached its, you know, critical mass or whatever. And so yeah, you're completely released from any sort of responsibility other than sitting back and watching the world burn. Mm -hmm. Like, so that's their fault. Uh, yeah. 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 And look at we're being good over here doing doing nothing. We (laughs) don't drink and we don't smoke and we don't do drugs. And we don't have sex outside of marriage and we don't do anything else either. <laughs> this kind of comes back full circle to where we started in terms no, of, <laughs> you know, you were talking, talked about words and books and writing, participating in the repair of the world. And that's mm-hmm. why it felt like a passion project, you know, or passion calling for you. And now I see, you know, through your, your own kind of spiritual views in terms of the repair of the world being something we're all called to do and to be a part of and finding your unique voice in that, especially in a path that you found personal healing that can Mm -hmm. also be healing for others. 
what an amazing way to wrap it up and and put a bow on a on a like a soul's calling or or a spiritual purpose or life purpose you know in terms of repairing the world yeah it's I mean what greater thing can you possibly do right you know and one of the things that the pandemic really got me thinking about because I I found myself like with my first Muslim friend like really true like i had been acquaintances with Muslim people but like this woman lived with me for a period of time and like I just she is my little sister I adore her and you know she'll tell me she's like you're triggering on your Christianity right now so you can just keep that right out of my faith and I'm like okay I'll do that (laughs) thank you um but like we had a disagreement over the word prophet because prophet in the evangelical like the charismatic church Mm -hmm is means a very different thing so like there's so many people who have a prophetic gifting right like you know and um for for muslim people like no there are five prophets peace be upon them you know and so like prophecies so we had to like get to a point where i was like oh so here's the problem we're we're getting stuck on the word instead of digging at what we are trying to accomplish with language so Mm -hmm. once we realize like your definition of profit and my definition of profit are completely different things and i can apply a different word that isn't profit to like the concept right Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so when you get underneath the again it goes back to like quit looking at the words themselves what are we trying to accomplish we're all talking about the same thing my i mean like my friend sent me this um Taoist meditation right and he he um was talking about a smile the smiling energy and I was like if that's not the Holy Spirit I don't know what is you know <laughs> and like it's funny because I do have so much bible like now that I'm actually listening to other people and like they'll say it one way and I'm like oh so you know like the way the bible says it is this way yeah and it's it's simply a different way of stating it and there's wisdom right there's wisdom and there's beauty if and if we would stop making one right answer like it's a complicated book like it's full of like all different kinds of writings like there are contradictions within the same chapter sometimes it feels like like Mm -hmm. in proverbs i think they're like only like a chapter apart it's like do not answer a fool or you will be made foolish with him something along those lines and then like a chapter later it's like answer a fool according to your wisdom like so it's like so which one am I supposed to do like don't answer or like make a wise answer (laughs) don't make a foolish answer unless I'm also a fool I don't know (laughs) like yeah it's (laughs) I mean there's so much was and and then of course like the literal when you when you make it a literal interpretation Mm -hmm. holy crap yeah I think I spent my entire like Christian years trying to reconcile a God that told the Israelites to go into Canaan and kill everybody down to the child born yesterday Mm. with the savior who watched like, you know, friends lower their, you know, friend down through the roof and was like, oh, you got cool friends. I'm going to forgive your sins. I got like, (laughs) yeah, those two things like do not compute. And like, you know, no matter the rationalizations, no matter what, like there was just always something in me that was like, because my personal experience with God 
had always been so gentle and so mm. kind. And every time I'd come to God with something that hurt me or something that I was ashamed of, I'd always been met with gentleness and like mm. so much grace, right? But you bring it to a church and they're going to use it against you. Like the people in like my church, when I would bring them like the things that were hurting me and got used against me in my divorce, yeah. like mm. I was like, there's got to be what you're practicing. It, you're saying things like God is love. <laughs> But here's what happens, like what I've learned from like growing up with abusers and, and the church operates in a lot of ways, like as an abuser, because abusers teach you to pay attention to what they're saying instead of what they're doing. Yeah. You know, they're telling you, but I love you so much. Meanwhile, they're over here doing things that are hurting you. No, but I love you. I love you. Yeah, but, you know. So it's like the idea that love is love and hurt go together. Yeah. yeah. So thankfully God is better than that. <laughs> thankfully, thankfully. And thankfully there, when we care enough about that connection, we can find our yeah. path, the path that's healing and feels that gentleness and feels like love to make that connection in whatever way it looks like. Exactly. I mean, and I'm, it, it's just one of those, like one of the things that I've, I've loved is finding the solo practice. Mm -hmm. And then now it's kind of like, it's interesting that I have other friends who are very interested in like paying attention to the full moon ritual, like, you know, paying mm -hmm. attention to some moon cycles and like, and I mean, how just really cool is that? Because according to the moon cycles, you're basically just staying mindful right. of what your intentions are. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't Ooh. sound true truly evil um i'm not sure also also like judaism's on a lunar calendar anyway so just saying <laughs> i don't know i mean like <laughs> what what amazes me is looking back at you know all all the the pagan uh, symbols rituals everything else that were just co-opted we're just co going to co-opt them and call them our own and call you bad <laughs> if you somehow recognize or or honor the way they used to be before we took them over I oh, know okay oh, okay got it I see you, <laughs> you know? yeah yeah it just like never ceases to amaze me and and I yeah I was like wow and then I think <laughs> So like the process of like decolonizing as well, because mm -hmm. yeah. like, you know, I um, grew up, so my dad took us to be missionaries on the Navajo reservation. Oh, wow. When yeah. I was uh, like, I guess I was maybe like 18 months old. Um, so yeah, colonizer, like just, wow. Um, but like, I remember reading that white sage kills like 98 percent of airborne bacteria mm -hmm. which means that like sweat lodge ceremonies for people who are sick and like that is completely and totally healing and I remember like thinking like oh so a bunch of white missionaries just showed up didn't understand what was going on and labeled it wrong because it didn't look like what they were familiar with mm -hmm. uh, what else did they do that with and what's the lens that I was taught to look at things through and why is it that, like I was taught that lens and just when 
like we're all born with a set of like blinders mm-hmm. or they get affixed as we grow right like I was born with a particular set of you know like white um educate educated family um upper middle class now that my when my mom became a doctor we suddenly became like you know upper middle class um I'm pretty so like that is it that was the first one that I realized like oh other people don't like that was the first set of goggles that got ripped off for me like and you know the countless others just evangelical that's a huge set of blinders and when you do start having them come off right it's like what else did I miss? What haven't you been telling me? <laughs> like, I am just fascinated with everything that I didn't know or didn't see or was taught was wrong or bad or like, yeah. Like, <laughs> holy cow. I was living in a little box that you guys made for me. <laughs> well, it seems like you've blown up the box and you've spent, but you didn't throw everything out with it like you can still have an appreciation for you know the rabbi from galilee yeah and how can you not though throw it all out and 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 there are there are some that do you know that even even the name because it's so fraught in in some minds with all the all the baggage that can go along with with his fan club you know that it's like well we'll just toss him too and um, so I really appreciate your perspectives that here all this stuff has happened, but you've gone deep enough in your own study and your own healing and your own, but how do I view the world that you can keep the gift without tossing it too? Well, I think, I think I, I, I always say that I have had an incredibly like blessed life in that um, I've had huge deposits made in my life mm-hmm. by various people. And like a lot of them were cracks Hmm. that that like God was like, I'm going to, this is, this is something that's going to create enough of a crack that light's going to get through. Right. And so the fact that, um, that when we were on the Navajo reservation, like I was this little toddler and like they would, there were women who would take me from my mom and like pass me around and like I would come back covered in turquoise jewelry. And so, oh, and then when, even when I was even littler, like my mom's best friend was Vietnamese and she was the only one who could get me to eat. Um, whatever was on the end of her chopsticks, I would eat it. But like whatever was on the end of my mom's spoon, I was like, nope. So like she would, in a, I mean, just my mom would panic. She was a new mom. She thought I was going to die and like my brain wasn't going to develop because I wasn't getting enough protein. So she'd like take me bawling over to Chum and Chum <laughs> would just like call me, sit me down on the table in front of her and be like, here, send me. And like, what was in the chopsticks? I'm like, okay, I'll eat that. <laughs> so like all of these faces cooing over me when I was mm-hmm. a baby and like just loving me as a baby didn't look like me. Mm-hmm. You know, they were people mm-hmm. of color. And then I went to high school in Miami and I was one of, I'm not quite sure how many white people there. That's my mind your time, Jamie. You have another meeting at 3.30. But like, I think there were five or six white kids in my class. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was 
so amazing because I was like, Cuban culture, like, how could you not love Cuban culture with grandmas who feed you black beans and rice at 830 at night and teach you how to make Cuban coffee and like, like pinch you and tell you how cute you are. And like, I Polito, I like this one. Like, how can you not love that? Like, you know, and then the church that I went to, the first church that I really chose for myself as an adult, um, mm-hmm. as an adult was this huge multiracial church. And I sang in the choir there. Yeah. And it was like, we sang that choir sang for the city of Tempe's Martin Luther King Jr. celebration. And like, that choir looks like I have a dream, right? I love that. It looks wow. like that speech. And then when I moved to the deep South, which was a huge revelation, like North Florida was like, well, this is not the Florida I was familiar with in Miami. Um, it looks very different here. And my mom and I were the first white members in the entire history of like the Mount Olive Missionary Baptist Church. And I mean, the pastor God bless him, because what the heck are these white people doing in my church? Sat a, like sat my mom down, and he's like, why are you here? Mm-hmm. And my mom was like, well, the church that I was going to, like, my husband and I are getting divorced, and they are not happy about the divorce. And he's like, oh, you're here because you need us. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh. And then I started singing Ooh. in the choir, and it was, awesome. uh, you know, so I've had all of these experiences outside of like the bad stuff you know Mm -hmm. and at the same time like I was a solitary weird little kid like I look at myself sometimes and go okay I don't think I'm on the spectrum but man I was weird and so like I was very much alone and my like you know imaginary friend was like the rabbi from Galilee and Mm -hmm. he sat and drank tea with me that I made in my you know play kitchen and we read books together and we talked about things and that's as you know and the moments that I touched God in church and the moments that God touched me and the moments that I've heard God's voice you know like the church hurt me terribly because I thought I was taught that that was my family you Mm. know and what I realized was I only belonged so long as I went along (laughs) there's a lot of belongs in there but um yeah and and that was never the case with God though Mm. like Mm -mm -mm. like there was no and like and what's crazy is like the more I've gotten like where I embrace my witchiness and I embrace like the fact that I don't I apparently I'm having a goth phase I don't know (laughs) like um I just like the closer I feel to the divine Mm. because it's it's coming back to the idea that God had when they made me you know and that was a good idea they Mm. had a good idea (laughs) And God gets to love you for you. And the more you're you, the more you can access that love. And what a beautiful thing. Well, and I mean, okay, so like, you know, I don't know if like you say you didn't grow up in church, but like the evangelical church that I grew up in, there was so much focus on being a spirit led Mm -hmm. Christian. So they're like, Paul talks about carnal Christians who are just like, who are like all talk and no soul in it, you know? Mm -hmm. And then there's the spirit led Christians that like are led by the spirit of God. And they're the ones who 
well, they're doing their Christianity right. Um, because you know, it's all about whether you're doing it right. Um, and I had this realization and it was even before I think I left the church, I think I tried to talk about it and they were like, no, that's, that's not what Paul meant. Um, but I was like, honestly, being spirit led and being that kind of Christian is simply being and doing whatever is most authentic to myself at that moment in time. Mm. Because the most authentic Jamie is truly kind and truly does want the best for people, truly mm. wants to have things, you know, and so if I give myself a minute and get past like the surface, like angry, like triggering, whatever it is that I'm doing. And like, you know, like the truly authentic Jamie thing to do. And they were like, Nope, that's not what that means. And I'm like, okay, but I think, I think it is. <laughs> I want it to be what it means. So <laughs> I am pretty sure that, yeah, like <laughs> if that helps me feel closer to God, then <laughs> I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to think. It. Why does it have yeah. to be wrong though? Is it because yeah. I'm a girl and I said it? <laughs> <laughs> I so appreciate you spending time with me today. Oh my gosh, I've had the best time. And the we depth talk of- to you for like three more hours. So <laughs> eventually we have to meet up in person. And- I, I think that is a very good idea. I need to show up at a at a right space event sometime. I how how do people it. find you or find right space? Like if they want to so go it's rightspacehouston.org. Um and We've got all of our events there. I will say that our website is a little bit clunky, but it's what we got right now. Um, so just the best way, honestly, to know exactly what we've got going on is to sign up for our newsletter. Okay. Um, yep. And they can do that on the website if they, at the bottom of absolutely every single page, it's like, <laughs> become a member. Also sign up for our newsletter. So sign up for the newsletter um, that goes out every other week. Uh, I try to get it out by Friday. I was trying to get it out by Tuesday. Now we're getting it out by Friday. So I hear you. <laughs> it goes. <laughs> right space right space Houston.org. Um, yeah. Also the newsletter. The newsletter's great, by the way. It's so filled oh, with you. information and um and inspiration. Yeah, thank I enjoy you. reading it. So thank you for saying that. I, I yeah. put some thought and time into those. So like yeah, I appreciate hearing nice. that it's not just because you like send it out and it's like into the void. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it's it's great. And, and not only are there so many events and ways that you can get involved if you're a writer or a creative or just like to hang out with other word nerds, you know, in the Houston yes. But there's also yeah. so many, or at least there was during pandemic times and up until now, online courses that you don't have to be in Houston to you participate don't. in. Yeah, like the spooky generative one, the magical AF, uh, the Phoenix Rising, those three are all online. Um, and so you can, you know, be from anywhere. And yeah, the goal, the goal is to have fully hybrid workshops um, mm. and a new space. We've got an Indiegogo campaign coming up. Yeah. Uh, so we can get, we lost our studio during the uh, pandemic because we just, it was a huge expense. And so, you know, not being able to meet there and use it. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we are really working to, uh, we need, we need money to get (laughs) a new space so that we can have, you know, like the in-person events that have all of right now we are using the most amazing, cute little bungalow in Montrose for our in-person events, but the internet is spotty and it's, you know, small and we are rapidly outgrowing it and we definitely need better internet. So like, <laughs> yeah, we, uh, 
we have some amazing perks in the Indiegogo campaign that I've been putting together. There's a ton of um, consultations oh, from our instructors for Ooh, like manuscript wow. consults and like Q and A's about like publishing and all kinds of cool stuff as well as like book perks. And I'm going to be making some book paper or book page roses. And yeah, we got some really cool stuff coming up. So yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Check out Rightspace. I think we're awesome. We're definitely the community that, uh, I want us, and I think the energy that I try to put in it is that um, I want us to be the community who gives you permission to be wildly successful and also to fail. Yeah. And then get back up and be like, it's cool. Like we all do that. (laughs) (laughs) And I learned something along the way. Exactly. So part of the path to being wildly successful. I I question those cheerleaders. Yeah, (laughs) there we go. Well, thank you so much for your time. And I really look forward to future conversations about these and other topics. And to all of you who have listened and watched, thank you so much for for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for tuning in for this episode of Dirt Road Divinity. If you liked what you saw, please go ahead and like the video or leave a comment letting me know. Also, you can subscribe to this YouTube channel and be kept up to date when new episodes drop in the future. If you'd like to connect in between episodes, you can come uh, follow the Facebook or Instagram pages, just at Dirt Road Divinity. You can even email me with any show or guest ideas that you might have. And my email address is lisa at dirtroaddivinity.com. Thanks so much for watching and I look forward to uh, you tuning in next time.